if you have your Bibles, turn back to John chapter 6, and you'll remember that last week uh, we broke into uh, Christ as uh, the bread of life, John chapter 6, and then we connected it back to Exodus chapter 16, and I showed you how that the Bible will always run itself back to an Old Testament story to establish a New Testament principle. And he does this to illustrate visually, you know, the teaching or a doctrine that Christ, you know, is trying to give to us. And as you know here in this church, we, we, don't, we don't follow the Greek, we don't follow the Hebrew, we don't uh, put any stock in, in scholarship in any way, shape, or form. We believe the Bible unlocks itself just as we compare Scripture with Scripture, uh, and that's all you need to unlock the Bible. We just stay with what we know in the book. And I showed you that the manna back in Exodus chapter 16 was God's bread from heaven to sustain His people in the wilderness of sin. And then I showed you when we made the connection in John 6 that Christ Himself claims to be connected to the manna as the bread of life which comes down from heaven. Both are God's supernatural gift to man to sustain him in, in our journey through our own wilderness of sin today. You know, learning the Bible, you know, the easy part of learning the Bible is just following a few basic rules. And one of the rules will be that the Bible will always follow the same consistency. Once God establishes a pattern, he never deviates from that pattern. The circumstances or the people or whatever may be different, but the pattern will always be the same. And as long as you follow that simple process, you're going to be able then to, uh, to unlock, uh, the Bible will unlock itself. You'll use the key words, which we talk about all the time. You'll use the pictures or the types like we saw last week. And then many times God will use his own creation, the sun, the moon, animals, you know, people, situations, and through those stories, if you follow the pattern and you just stay with the consistency, the Bible will lay itself out. And that's really what I showed you last week as we compared John 6, where he claims to be the manna from heaven, the bread uh, from heaven, and then going back to Exodus chapter 16. Or, you know, as I walked you through last week before we got into that, chapter by chapter showing you... (coughs) As a New Testament Christian, how the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, will really lay out from a practical standpoint everything that we should be following as a New Testament Christian. It's quite incredible. Now today, <clears throat> we're going to finish out John chapter 6. And this has been an amazing chapter for us. And in closing it out, we will see one of the most amazing things in all of the Bible. Today is going to be a different message than you normally get because we're up against a verse that is unbelievable in its context when you begin to lay it out. It's completely unknown today, and when it is presented, it's completely rejected today. You know, a concept biblically that is so deep that it's far beyond the grasp of the Laodicean pastor, teacher, Christian, and for sure, the Bible colleges are the seminary. And I'm going to take my time this morning, and I'm going to walk you through this, because I want you to see this verse as it really lays itself out. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to just do that. I want to show you how it connects and establish 
the pattern that God has established here. And again, there'll be no Greek today. There'll be no Hebrew. There'll be no going back to a lexicon or a Greek text. Just the Bible as we read it, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now, we're going to go down deep today. Uh, We talk about deep things every Sunday and Thursday night, but compared to this one, this is that, that's just milk. So you better get a deep breath. Uh, I, I, was reading a, I was reading an article this week about the, uh, uh, the submarine Thresher and the submarine Scorpion. Both of those submarines, uh, they don't know for sure what happened, but both of them met with disaster uh, with all hands on board. And uh, as I was reading that story, uh, which I already knew this, they, they talked about how that uh, in a submarine, you, you have a crush depth. And the crush depth is that your submarine can only go down so deep before it implodes. Now, we think of explode. That's outward. Implode is inward. And what happens is, is that a, a submarine, the deeper it goes, uh, the more pressure on the hull. And a submarine gets down past its depth, crush depth, it could have as much as 40,000 pounds of pressure per square inch on that hull. And it just implodes. And as I was walking through that, I did a little other couple of things. I just wanted to, you know, because I got thinking how that I could use this today. In World War II, the average World War II submarine could go down about um, 300 feet, maybe, maybe more, not much more. And past that, you would start to see, you start to hear the hall creaking. You got much farther than that. The ribbons would stop popping out of the pipes, and you get much farther than that, and the whole thing just implodes. And everybody dies in an instant. There's no, I'm going to drown or suffocate. You are turned inside out so fast, you don't even know what hits you. Now, modern-day submarines actually can go down 12, 13, 1,400 feet because they have different pressure hulls now that, that they, they can do that. But even they... And that's what happened to the Thresher and the Scorpion. They had some kind of propulsion malfunction that they began to sink and they couldn't get out of it. And they actually went down below their crush depth and, and, uh, and, and imploded and everybody on, on board got killed. And, you know, I think of that and, you know, the ocean is really deep. The deepest part of the ocean is a little over 36,000 feet. That's in the Marianas Trench. And man, believe it or not, has went down a little over 35,000 feet. But he didn't go in a submarine. They have, obviously, bathospheres or things that, are, that can handle the pressure. They're designed that way. Don't ask me how. I, I don't know. I had one, but I had to sell it because the neighbors didn't want me parking it in the driveway. But anyway, it's a thing where it's, they're, they're incredible. And then, of course, they have the, what they call the DRSVs, which are the rescue ships that can go down to great depth to try to get a crew out. But the bottom line is, I I was thinking of that. I thought to myself, you know, if that isn't true of most of God's people, you know, when it comes to the Bible, most of God's people have a crush depth. It's a point where they come with the Bible that they get down so deep they can't handle it and they implode because of the truth. Now, now we know that if the Marianas Trench is 36,000 feet deep, let me tell you something, the Word of God and the mind of Christ must go millions of light years in depth. And the real question is, how much can the average Christian absorb going into that Bible and getting that deep without malfunctioning? And I put a couple of calculations together. This is not based on anything scientific, just based on my own 
uh, thinking of 50 years in the ministry. I would say the average Christian, on a scale of the Bible, I would say that the average Christian probably has, the average Christian has a crushed death of about 12 feet. You get much below that depth in the Bible and you don't know where you're at and you're going to implode. I'd say that the average pastor has a crushed depth of about nine inches. He gets past that and he's in trouble. And I'd say the average Bible college professor has a crushed level of about two, two and a half inches. And then he's in trouble. So I say all that to say this. Let's all pretend we're getting in our bathosphere today. Steve, you make sure when the last one in, you close the hatch. And uh, John, you make sure that the air valves are turned on so everybody can breathe. And, uh, and we'll take turns sitting at the window because we're going down much deeper than the Marianas Trench today. And you're going to see some things out of the Bible. And I, I, I knew this verse was coming. And I really wondered, how am I going to do this verse on a Sunday morning that just doesn't cause everybody beyond some of you to implode. And I think I figured it out. I'm just going to skip over it. No, I, I think I figured it out. And uh, so I'm going to do my best to break it down, but I'm sorry if you were looking for some pablum milk toast or those little beanie weenies that you got when you're, you're in the wrong place this morning. Now, i got to say this. Around before 1900, what I'm about to give you this morning out of this verse was standard Bible 101. This is a clear concept taught in Hosea chapter 8, verse 12, that says that the great things of the Word of God have now become strange things to us. And boy, if that's not a true verse. One time there was so depth to the Bible and God's people uh, even back to the Waldensians and the Albigensians and the, and the Huguenots and the Anabaptists, there were things that they knew about the Bible, that they believed about the Bible, and they <laughs> didn't even have the Bible you got. But it's all lost today. And it's lost today by design. You know, we're, we're big into conspiracies today, and, and uh, you know, I understand all of that. But I am going to tell you something. The greatest conspiracy that ever was hatched was the conspiracy to take that book from you. And that's where we're at today. So <clears throat> let's read John chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 66, and we'll come on down to the end of the chapter today, and we'll close this out. Now, here we go. From that time, <clears throat> many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas the Sicariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you today. And help me today, Lord. Uh, help me to lay this out as cleanly and clearly as I can. Uh, help me to connect the dots. Help me to uh, not uh, lead these people into confusion, but to lead them into a clear understanding. Uh, lead and guide every word that I say. I, put me under the blood, Lord. Help me to be there for you and all that uh, I can do today. 
and uh, these good people that are yours. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, let's use our trained eye for a minute. We've been talking about the trained eye. I hope you've been working on your eyesight with that. But now, uh, this, is, this passage here is going to deal with the most wicked person on planet Earth in the history of the world, the Antichrist. And if I was somebody paying attention here, and I was reading John chapter 6, and I was coming down to the end of the chapter here, uh, and I had my trained eyes turned on, I would note a couple of things here. The first thing that would catch my attention, which always catches my attention in the Bible, is there's a paragraph mark here in verse 66. Now, paragraph marks are absolutely imperative in your Bible, and you don't find any paragraph marks after Acts chapter 20. Now, there's a reason for that, but we don't have time for that today. Now, if I was using the train, that would be the first thing that I'd see, because they're very important. And then I would see and understand that I'm entering into a passage that starts after the paragraph mark in John chapter 6, verse 66. So I'm dealing with something that's dealing with 666. Now that's just me. Now that's what a trained eye will do for you if you're paying attention. Now this passage, and in it will be what I call a blockbuster verse. A verse revealed to the true body of Christ, the true biblical Bible student, that will forever change the dynamics of the Word of God. And I know saying that that some of you younger Christians, maybe you can't get to that point yet, but you will if you stick around long enough and, uh, and, uh, and learn your Bible. Now, I would say this. Based on my experience with the Word of God, which I know is very limited compared to some of you, but if, if, based on my experience with the Word of God, I would say that the whole Bible probably is built around seven or eight, nine maybe, blockbuster verses. And God designed it that way. Deeply hidden by laying right in the open. I love that. I love how that something like this and a few other places that we're going to just look at to give you an understanding and a perspective this morning, they're the deepest things that you will ever get into laying right on the top of the ground. And, uh, you know, and, and that's the way it is. And right under God's people knows it. It's just like I preached a couple of weeks ago that this verse is just like Christ to the nation of Israel. It becomes a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says that Christ to Israel was a stumbling block. Well, we know that Christ now is in the body of the book, and I want to tell you it's verses like these that are a stumbling block to most of God's people. And just as the truth in the embodiment of Christ was going to pass them by walking on the sea, the truth of the Word of God in your lap today will pass you by if you're not paying attention. Incredible. Now, just for references, let me show you how a couple of these work. We don't have time to get into them all this morning, and I, I, I tried to pick ones that kind of go with where we're going. But my the first blockbuster verse that that I came across years ago was in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. And it simply says, He that is born of God does not commit sin. Now, I'm just telling you, this one drives them crazy. It drives preachers and Bible scholars so crazy that they've got to change the verse to live with it. 
because they know the Bible says that, uh, that if any man say we sin not, we lie and do not the truth, then here's a verse that says if we're born of God, we don't commit sin. They cannot reconcile the two. So they do what all higher education does. They, think the, they don't ever say I'm wrong. They say the Bible's wrong, so they then change commit to practice. You see, that works. And by doing that, they blow it again. I'll tell you what. If you make it, he that born of God did not practice sin, that's, that's a lie out of the pit of hell. We all practice sin. Some of us practice it better than others. So it won't work. And what you've got here, again, blockbuster verse, all of your salvation, everything about your salvation lies in that blockbuster verse right there. Understanding that he that is born of God doth not commit sin. You see, they never get it. They don't get that it's your flesh that commits to sin. And when you got saved, your soul got separated from that and sealed under the day of redemption. So when he says that he that is born of God doth not commit sin, he's not talking about your flesh. Your flesh was never born of God. He's talking about your soul that was separated from your flesh in the day of salvation, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, and is perfect today and cannot sin. See how simple that is? But they've got to make it so complicated. And this is, this is, as I said, this is a blockbuster verse. If you don't get this one down, you're never going to figure out what really happened to you the day you got saved. And I'll tell you right now, I give Christians the test all the time. We use the terminology, oh, I'm born again. Oh, I'm saved. Oh, I trusted in the blood. Really? What does that really mean? I mean, what happened inside you? The instant you trusted Christ as your own person, what changed about you? And how did it change? Don't give me the terminology that all Christians use. Take me into the Word of God and show me the very instant you stepped out of darkness into the light, what transpired in that instant of a split second inside you? They can't answer it. I don't have a clue. See, we buy the terminology, but we don't understand the very salvation that we have. No, that doesn't mean you're not saved. It, I'm not saying that, but I am saying it, it means that God's people have no clue. Now, the second blockbuster verse that they struggle with is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And here's where it says, And there were giants in the earth in those days. This is right before the flood. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now, you know, what do you do with that verse? And, of course, what the Bible scholars do, and 99.99% of your preachers and everybody but you're going to run into it even has a little knowledge of the Bible, they're going to tell you that that was unsaved, unsaved uh, women marrying saved men, the sons of God. And, of course, they equate that to the New Testament because we sons of God. They have no idea that that could never happen. So they'll come up then with a godly line of Seth. The guy one time told me, well, that was the godly line of Seth. So I threw him a Bible in his lap and asked him to trace for me the godly line of Seth. He had no clue where to start. You know why? Because there is no godly line of Seth. But this is what they do when they don't know anything about the Bible. This is a blockbuster verse. I'm going to say right now, everything that is going on in our world today and everything that is about to befall this world today well, hinge on that thing right there. I don't know what to tell you. And then my next one, very quickly here, Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. We have a guy showing up by the name of Cain. 
Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but Cain is the first type of Antichrist you've got in your Bible. First time you start in Genesis, the first type of the Antichrist is going to be Cain. You have the first time of Christ, first type of Christ in the Bible, and then you have the first type of Antichrist in the Bible. And from those two, everything else is defined. Now, Cain in 4.15, you know what happens? He gets a mark, just like the Antichrist has a mark. Do you ever notice that? Or did that just pass you by? In time, the Bible says in 4.16 that he goes out from the presence of the Lord. He leaves God's presence. God puts a mark on him. And then in time, he builds his own city. And in time, as his kinfolk go down the line, that city turns out to be Babylon. And I want you to notice something else in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. And this is really key. He's a counterfeiter. He's an imitator. Because when you get into Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, when he has his family and his kids who make up the ungodly line, he gives them the same names that the godly line had. Now, that's confusing to some people, see? Not really. You're learning now the great concept of everything on the devil's world is is he's a counterfeiter. He does. Now, continuing with Cain in verse 4, the Bible tells us that he kills Abel. And then he hits us with a blockbuster verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. I want you to know this. Cain shows up in Genesis chapter 4. He does his dastardly deed and leaves the presence of God and goes there. And then 62 books later. Not two chapters, not five chapters. 62 books later in the book of 1 John laying right on the surface. Blockbuster verse where it says in 1 John 3, verse 12, not of Cain, who was of that wicked one. Now, you ought to watch how they scramble around on this one. I mean, they, they say, well, you know, they say, well, yeah, that, but, you know, we're all, we're all, in a spiritual sense, we're all, you know, we're all of, of, of the devil before we get saved. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no spiritual sense back here. He's not saying that Cain was, uh, was of that wicked one in a spiritual sense like you and I are before we got saved. There is no spiritual sense. Everybody's of the devil back there as far as being in sin. No, 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 no. This has to do with him particularly being of that wicked one. My, my, my. What new doctrine is this? Now we're faced with the blockbuster burst that Cain was fathered by the devil. Now, stay with me here before you get out the tar and the feathers and, and the faggots and burn me at the stake. But I'd rather be burned without the faggots if I have a choice. <laughs> you know, that's where the term comes from, don't you? The hot things, the, the little embers that are burning down inside the fire. You ever, when you have a campfire, like, you know, the, you see those real red things down deep inside the fire? They're called faggots. And you know why they're called faggots? Because back in the old days, when Bible was still the Bible, with the Waldensian and the Albigensian back when it was back, they talked about somebody who lived that lifestyle was going to burn in a lake of fire. And so they used the term faggot. Sorry? 
Now, don't get mad at me about that. I, didn't, I was born in 1950. That's way before my time. I'm just telling you. You want to know, fine. Hey, if you don't want to know, just, just go like that and I'll stop. We're here for truth today. Now, I don't know what else to tell you. Now, okay, I'm sorry. Let's go. My wife said, I'm too excited today. I need to turn it down a couple notches. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. We're really glad that you're here, and we want to get going as fast as we can here. Okay, now, when you get all the material together, it will change everything you thought you knew about the Bible and what God and the devil are doing. Satan infiltrates with his implants here in God's first church to destroy what God is doing. Now, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we get another piece of this little puzzle. Paul speaking here, talking about how the church is going to be destroyed, if possible, by the devil. Look what he says. Would to God you would bear with me in a little folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtleties, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see the parallels? Now you need to take a time on a rainy afternoon and study the word beguiled. Study it what it means in the Old Testament and study what it means in the New Testament. But now you begin to see the parallel. The devil will infiltrate Adam and Eve to destroy what God is doing. And Eve is a type of the church. Adam's a type of Christ. And let's all connect it together. In Genesis chapter 3, to destroy what God was doing, the devil shows up, comes to the church. That's what Paul's afraid of. And says, yea, hath God said. But then he changes what God said. Can you not see that parallel to you today? You have a King James Bible in your hand today, and you go to another church, and they'll tell you, that's not what God said. This is what he said in my NIV. This is how it works. Now, you and I are given these blockbusters verses so we can understand now clearly. Stay with me. Cain was of that wicked one, not of Adam. And I could go through that process this morning and lay it out clearly for you, but we don't have the time today. Now, Cain in your Bible will be, as I said, it'll be your first type of the Antichrist. That's a key. He's the first type in the Bible. He's called the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, in a spiritual sense, it says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who's that? Cain, okay? who is of that wicked one. So we begin to see uh, some things develop here. One little verse just laying on the surface and under it a pathway <coughs> to the Marianas Trench and beyond. <coughs> you know, most people don't see this. I've told you this many, many times. The Bible, like the Lord Jesus Christ, it has two natures. Christ was the Son of Man, but He also was the Son of God. So in your Bible, you're going to have the Bible presented on a on a easy, understandable, spiritual application as the Son of Man in a sense that deals with your everyday stuff. But then the Bible's got a dimension to it as the Son of God, which is the depth of God. And most of God's people never get past the Son of Man stage. 
let alone get into the Son of God. And uh, you know what? It's, a, it's an incredible aspect. And now uh, our blockbuster verse for today. Stay with me now. Stay with me. John chapter 6, verse 70. See, I had to give you a couple other ones to get you ready for this one. Here it comes. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Peter says, where in the world are we going to go? Who are we going to follow? We believe you're God. You know what he answers to him? Have I not chosen you 12? And one of you is a devil. Now, immediately, all commentators and pastors and teachers will do one of two things. And boy, I've watched this for 50 years. One, they'll either completely ignore the verse, because that's the easiest thing to do, or two, they'll try to make it say something that it does not say. They'll say, well, that just means that Judas was acting like the devil. They'll say, well, no, that Judas, he was full of the devil. Well, it means that Judas was controlled by the devil. Well, it means that Judas was influenced by the devil. I don't know what your problem is. That verse, 99% of it is one-syllable words. Have I not chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil? Now, you can either like that or lump that. And if you don't like it, my advice to you would be Hobby Lobby. You say, what's in Hobby Lobby? An exacto cutter. Cut it out. That's what they all do anyhow. Now, the impl- I'll be the first to tell you here, kids. The implications of that are staggering. Are you kidding me? A subhuman, half-human, half-devil manifesting himself as a minister of righteousness. Yes, I... Excuse me. I'm sure I, I, I read that someplace. Oh, yes. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. And no marvel that Satan workers are transformed into the ministers of righteousness. I knew I read that someplace, but that couldn't apply here, now could it? Now, the trained eye. We start to see a pattern emerge. Stay with me. Genesis chapter 3 and 4. The devil infiltrates God's plan and has Cain, who is of that wicked one. That's not my words. That's the Bible. Clearly, he was of that wicked one. There's only one way you can take that, or you just ignore it. Stay with me. To infiltrate God's plan with Adam and Eve. So he kills Abel to stop the plan from God going forward. Stay with me. Here it comes. Let's fast forward. 4,000 years in the future, first coming of Christ. And now again, here it comes. He does the same thing, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, 49, with the second Adam. Where the first Adam, he infiltrated through Cain. When the second Adam, Christ, shows up, he infiltrates through Judas to stop what God is going to do with the cross. Plain and simple, folks. Judas was a devil, John 670. And you now have entered into <clears throat> the twilight zone of the Bible so deep, so unbelievingly beyond understanding for most God's people. Through a verse that is just <clears throat> laying on the surface to give you the key to the blockbuster verse in John chapter 6, verse 70. 
lost to anybody without a King James 1611, and very honestly, or sadly to say, lost to most of them that have it. I don't know what you pay attention to. I pay attention to everything around me because I realize that God told me that the things around me will teach me. I remember not too many years ago, the I can't remember which one came out first, but it was a big flap about it. Christians were flocking to see it. I remember when The Last Temptation of Christ came out. It was a movie. Then I remembered when The Passion of Christ came out, and that was a movie, in the theaters. And pastors were just saying, you need to go see this, you need to go see that. This is the greatest thing. People, uh, it was, it, and many pastors and churches thought that brought a sense of revival to churches, to Christians. Personally, the most spiritual movie I ever saw that is much more spiritual than that would be the one of Audie Murphy to hell and back. <laughs> there was nothing spiritual or biblical about either one of those movies. You know what came out of it? Judas got a bad rap. You know that there's, in your Bible you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, in actuality, in the Christian world, in the scholarly world, there's over 80 Gospels. You know who wrote a Gospel? Judas. And after that movie came out, all the religious left-wing people and all the, all the, oh, they all said, poor Judas, he got a terrible rap. And they made reference to the fact that Judas wrote a gospel, which he didn't. But it just goes to show you, people today, you know, we live in a world of conspiracies, as I said earlier. And God's people fell for the biggest conspiracy the world has ever seen. I'm going to show it to you in just a little bit. I'll close all this. Somebody said one time, did you, did you go see the movie? I said, no. Why not? I read the book. <laughs> Much better than the movie. Now, all of this will be key to our living in the last few moments of the church age. And if you do not understand that, if you're one of these Christians or anybody who thinks that what is going on in the world around you, we are we're on God's clock, his sand, the hourglass, the last grains of sand are dropping through that clock before the rapture of the church and the coming events of prophecy are about to be fulfilled, which we know as the rapture, tribulation, second coming, the millennium. And after the rapture, everybody has some kind of understanding that the chief player will show up, which will be the Antichrist. Now, here's something that most people don't know. And you need to know this. In your Bible, there are two Christs. Now, I know that may be shocking to you. I'm just glad you got past John 3.16 without falling apart. That may be shocking to some of God's people, but there's two key players that the Bible wraps itself around, and I got news for you. They're both Christ's. Hence, we have the word Christ, which means anointed. That's what it means. I won't get into the root words of it. it mean, the word Christ means anointed. And you were told in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, that the devil is the anointed cherub. So he is a Christ. So we have the 
Antichrist, and then we have the true Christ. And I don't know, trained eye, maybe you're blind. I don't know. Maybe you lost your spiritual glasses. I have no idea. But if you're paying attention, you'll find that through the Bible, how the Holy Spirit of God tells you that there's two Christ by making a differentiate between the two. In Revelation 11, verse 15, it talks about the second coming of Christ. And this is right in the middle of the Antichrist doing everything that he's doing. And it says, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. You know why I said his Christ? Because there's two. Revelation 12, 10, a great chapter on the devil. You know what it says in verse 10 about the Lord Jesus? His Christ. He's showing you that there's two by making an example that one is his and the other is not. It goes so far in Luke chapter 2, verse 26, that he's called the Lord's Christ. Again, in Acts chapter 4, verse 26, it goes to the great length of calling him again his Christ. There's two. And one imitates the other in everything in life. Now, stay with me. There are some things that you need to know about the devil and the Antichrist. The devil, first off, will always be an imitator of Christ, trying to counterfeit everything he does. And I could spend another hour laying that out for you. We don't have time today. The problem is, fundamentally, Satan wants to be God. And back in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and all through the history of the Bible, he has tried to overthrow God to take his place. He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will sit on the sides of the north. No, you won't. But he wants to. And everything in life, everything in history, everything we've experienced, Everything that goes on needs to be viewed and looked at in that context. His son will be the Antichrist. God's son will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you, the word Christ means anointed one. Now, allow me to be clear here, and then we'll come back. Judas is the Antichrist. In your Bible, you have two terms for the Antichrist, the the man of sin and the son of perdition. Both are a reference to Judas and the Antichrist. You find the term son of perdition only two times in your Bible. Once in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind nor troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, uh, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, here it comes, that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There it is, see? Verse 7 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he now letteth will let until he be taketh out of the way. You want to keep that verse close to you? We're going to come back to that. Now, the second place is in Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 12. Jesus, again speaking. And he says, Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep uh, through thine own name those whom you have given me. Talking about the apostles, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Of those that gavest me, I have kept and have not none of them, but the, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas. 
There's only two men in the Bible that are called the son of perdition. Now, the scripture there being fulfilled is a blockbuster chapter, Psalms 109. Judas is the Antichrist. He's the son of perdition. Now, those two verses that you're connecting here will show you that the Antichrist and Judas is one and the same. Now, let's put it all together for you here to make it clear. We're gonna, we'll go so far, then we'll stop, and we'll bring it back up so you stay with it here. One, we know that Satan is a great imitator of God in every way. We know that. Two, he wants to be God. We know that, too. From Genesis to Revelation, he infiltrates the world and tries to stop God's plan. I've told you this one before. All history, I don't care what it is, all history needs to be viewed through the, through the view scope of the fact that history is nothing more than God moving in a direction to accomplish his plan and the devil moving to stop it by counterfeiting it. He starts with Cain, Genesis 3 and 4, first type of the Antichrist, with Cain, who is of that wicked one, can't get around that. Then he uses, a little bit later on, when that doesn't work, he uses the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6. And that's a great study. How did they get here? How did they get here and produce a race of giants? Then, when that failed, then we use as Egypt. This will be the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, we've studied this before. Then, when that doesn't work, and the children of Israel get out of Egypt and head for the promised land, lo and behold, Deuteronomy 2.20, Numbers 13.32.33, the sons of God, the giants, came back. Now they're called the sons of Anakin. They come back. Do you know how? Of course you don't. No, it's one of those things where these are hidden within the blockbuster verses to show you what the devil is doing that God's people are oblivious to. Then he uses Saul and the kings of Israel through Baal worship, and a great example of this would be Ahab and Jezebel. When that fails and they go into captivity, then he uses nations. This will be Daniel chapter 2. And he infiltrates the nations to destroy God's plan through Babylon, Daniel 2, Daniel's image, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Rome will bring us up to the first coming of Christ and lead us all the way up to where we're at today. And at the first coming of Christ, he has his son again, Judas, infiltrate God's 12 to stop the plan of God. Hence, John 6, 70, Jesus himself saying to his disciples, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? That fails. Watch this. Now the church age comes in. What happens? Christ goes back to heaven, Acts chapter 1, and now he's no longer physically here, but he sends us the word of God, which is his mind. Yes? Amen? You have it this morning? Amen. I hope so. Now we see the devil doing the same thing. When Judas goes out and hangs himself, the church age comes into effect. 
The devil knows now that he has to imitate what God has just done, so he bring forth his book. And you have your two lines of Bibles. Okay, when the tribulation starts through Rome and the United States, he again will bring forth a son. Seven years, we know the tribulation lasts. It's split in the middle at three and a half years, then three and a half years. Now the devil finally has the world, and he sets himself up as God. This will be 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which we already read. This is where he sits in the temple in the seat of God, and he claims to be God and demands all the world to worship him as God. And in the Bible, Matthew 24, 15, Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, 39, this is called the abomination of desolations. This is at the beginning of the last half of the tribulation. <clears throat> now watch this. <clears throat> now, we haven't went to one thing outside the Bible yet, and we won't. Because the Bible's all you need. Now watch this. In the tribulation, particularly in Revelation 12 and 13 that deals with that, <clears throat> the devil has a counterfeit trinity. I mean, if he's going to be God and he's going to sit in the temple of God and claim to be God, then he's got to play the thing to the hilt. So you know what he does in the tribulation? He has a counterfeit trinity. Look at it. Revelation 13, 2. You have the beast. That's God the Father. In Revelation 13, 14, you have the image of the beast. That's the false Son of God. And in <clears throat> Revelation 13, 11, you have the false prophet. There's the fake Holy Spirit of God. He counterfeits everything. Now, you see how that all works? Now, this has been going on for 6,000 years. <clears throat> You've just been hanging out with the wrong crowd. Now, <clears throat> back in John chapter 13, where Jesus gets betrayed by Judas. We talked about this a couple of Thursday nights ago, not to this depth, but we talked about it. This is where he passes the sop and the sop being a piece of bread that they dip and then eat it that way. And this will be chapter 13, verse 27. After he gives the sop, he says, it's whom I give the sop to that is going to betray me. And at that moment in time, when Judas leaves, the Bible tells us that Satan now enters into him to finish the work to kill Christ. And the devil thought for sure once he got him on that cross, he could get him to quit. Aren't you glad he didn't? You know where we'd be this morning if the devil would have figured that one out and won that one? Praise God he didn't. Amen. It always bothered me why the devil put such pressure on him with such a plan to get him to quit, and Christ didn't. But the devil doesn't have to do nearly anything like that to me and you, and we do quit. Now at the second three-and-a-half-year mark, in the tribulation period, excuse me, the first three and a half year mark, the Antichrist is revealed as the man of sin. At the second three and a half year mark, <clears throat> the great tribulation to destroy Israel, uh, the devil now enters into him at the mid-trib, just like he did Judas to betray Christ, and now uh, he goes into the temple, and just like Judas at the first coming of Christ, he goes into him and uh, to do the work, just like he did in John 13, verse 27. And you'll note in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 to 5, after <clears throat> uh, he, begin, uh, he, uh, uh, he betrays Christ, then Judas goes out and hangs himself, doesn't he? Did it ever catch your eye that he goes out and hangs himself in a tree? 
and Christ was crucified on a tree? You ever catch that? Probably not. Did you ever catch this? Bible says when Judas went out and hung himself, that he went to his own place. He didn't go to heaven. He didn't go to hell. He went to his own place. And how many times over the years have I heard somebody say, well, I wonder where that, wonder where that place is. It's in the Bible. We'll get to it in a little bit. But, you know, that's a great story, how that all happened. We don't have time for that today. I will give you this, Psalms 109, verse 6. It says, set a wicked man over him, Christ, talking about Judah and the Antichrist, over Christ, and letting Satan stand at his right hand. You got to see Psalms 144, 8. Those are all verses that show you that the Antichrist and the devil are the same. Where one stopped Christ at the first coming, the other one is going to stop Christ at the second coming or try, and they're both called the son of perdition. Now, all this is called, again, going back to 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, the mystery of iniquity. And it says again now, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the world. Now, there's two or three things here. <clears throat> this mystery of iniquity that we find here, <clears throat> and I don't know if you know this or not, it's one of the seven mysteries that you find in the Bible. There's seven mysteries in the Bible, and actually the Bible is built around those seven mysteries. We, we've taught them many times, taught them in Bible Institute. They're on the website. And Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, which nobody ever bothered to listen to, that the church, pastors, are to be stewards of those mysteries. Now, we do that here. I would destined to say if you go to a Baptist church someplace and, and, uh, or you just ask your average Baptist preacher next time you rear-end him in a truck stoplight someplace, uh, ask him before the cops get there, what other seven mysteries in the Bible? He won't know much less be stewards of them. And yet Paul tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that me as a pastor in this church are to be stewards of those mysteries. And one of those mysteries is the mystery of ungodliness, the Antichrist. You know what that mystery is? Everything I've laid out for you from Genesis. He said, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. In Paul's day, it was in full swing. Because it goes back to Genesis. And of course, this mystery man in full working order here, and Paul writes, this mystery is going to town. And a lot of, a lot of people who, down through history, will get caught up in conspiracies or conspiracy theories. The mystery of iniquity will be the mother of all conspiracies. Every conspiracy that's out there today, whether it's theory or bona fide, We'll go back to this mystery. And the quicker you learn that, the better you're going to keep from getting caught up in all that stuff. This mystery will answer every question for you that you're going to face today. Understanding this will be the key to getting through what we're about to go through. You know, it, it, if I didn't know God's people were so far out of touch with reality, I'd know it by this way. God's people today... I, and I get it, they just, uh, this country and our lives has been so cush, Amen. it's been so wonderful, 
We have all the freedoms in the world. We can go state to state, buy a boat, buy a car, buy a motorcycle, buy everything you want to do, have fun, go where you want to go. No, no, your papers are not in order. Everything is just perfect. And we have gotten so satisfied with that and so lulled to sleep by that. You just have a hard time today, folks. And I love you, and I understand but you just have a really tough time today grasping a hold that life on planet Earth as you once knew it is gone. It's over. And, that's, and I get it. I get it. Some of you look at me like a deer I saw the other night driving with my headlights on in the middle of the road. I get it. But you have to come to the grim reality for you and for life on planet Earth. It's done. It's over. We keep looking at for the light at the end of this tunnel. That light is a freight train coming to you at 90 miles an hour. No light at the end of the tunnel. Where have you been? Do you actually believe, do you, that we're going to go through life holding hand in hand, singing kumbaya, and just having a great time? And it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Oh, we're having a great time. And then on Thursday, the rapture takes place and we're gone. Really? You know what my greatest fear, the judgment seat of Christ is? Honest to God. My greatest fear, the judgment seat of Christ, is not what I'm going to get or what I'm not going to get because I'm fully persuaded in my mind I won't get anything. My greatest fear, the judgment seat of Christ, is I will stand there before God never having paid a price for what he gave me. Now that bothers some of you. Why? You've lost your mind. You think this world is all peachy keen and going to have a great time. And oh, we want to do this and we want to fix that. There's no fixing anything. It's over. And you, I get, you ought to see the emails I get. Ugh, oh, I get in some, from all across the country. And I'll tell you what. You ought to not be worrying about anything other than how you're going to take your stand to pay the price. That's all. And the model for that is the Lord Jesus. And my greatest fear is that I'm going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ alongside the Waldensians, the Huguenots, the Polyseans, the Anabaptists, Holland Popoff, stand beside them and, and, and having paid no price at all compared to what they did. And you think God's okay with that? Do you really? We've lost our minds. Okay, let me lay it out completely, and then you'll get the lunch here. We're, we're in good shape today. I want to show you how Satan pulled this off down through history step by step. One, you'll see how Cain was in reality, of that wicked one, and how it was connected to Eve. Genesis 3.13, Genesis 4, 1 through 2, and 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4. Then, it will show you how Judas came into this world, and how the devil produced a half-human, 
half devil to infiltrate the twelve, and then you'll find out how Judas's mother played a role in Psalms 109, verse 14. Oh, yeah, man. Missed that one, didn't you? Now, since most of you think I'm already over the wall and been on too much on my meds, or not enough on my meds, let me just go one step further. Now, I'd say what I'm about to say based on all the material, and there's a lot I can't give you today because we have the time factor. Simply today, I wanted to put, and I, and I struggled how to do this, I just wanted to put John 670 into a context for you so you could better understand it, and I hopefully did that, but I didn't have any intent to getting all the depth of it and lay it all out. Uh, we just don't have the time for that. We've talked about it in Bible Institute. We've been through it several times, you know, and, and all of those things. Uh, but now I'd say this. In Matthew chapter 2, I'm just spitballing now. In Matthew chapter 2, you have recorded for you the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd say while well, everybody uh, in some way today is familiar with that, I'd say while the wise men were celebrating with their gifts, and each one of those gifts is a great study in itself, I'd say while the heavenly host filled the sky and the star of Bethlehem hung over the place, and the heavenly host is singing Christmas carols, you know, O Holy Night, Silent Night, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. I would say that that same night, another baby was born. Not in Jerusalem or Judea or Bethlehem. I'd say in Kirioth in eastern Syria. Oh yeah, man. You missed that one, didn't you? Too many presents under the tree. And just as Cain and now Judas and later the Antichrist himself in the tribulation period will all be of that wicked one. The work begins to infiltrate the twelve to stop God from establishing his government. You see, the pattern now is completely established for anybody that's looking for it. Now, never forget, the devil is a counterfeit and an imitator. And I'm about to give you another blockbuster verse that lands right on these verses that I've been giving you today. We know that the devil has an imitation religion. We know that the devil has an imitation nation. We know that the devil has an imitation city. We know that the devil has an imitation bride. We know that he has an imitation church. We know that he has an, an imitation minister, ministers. We know that he has an imitation choir. And we know that he has an imitation Bible. Now, in this particular instance, turn back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here comes a 5 million ton concrete block right on your head.
Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy in the Bible on the first and second coming of Christ. Verse 15, God speaking to Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, talking to the devil too, and between thy seed and her seed. And that shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, you know what that is there? The first and second coming of Christ. You know who the first coming of Christ, his seed is? It's Judas. You know who the second coming of Christ, where he gets his head bruised? It's Judas. It's, uh, it's uh, the Antichrist. Now, watch this. Lest somebody would say, oh, he's speaking spiritually. This next verse is for you. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. The seed is literal children. The devil's got a counterfeit seed. It showed up in Cain, then it showed up in Judas, and it's going to show up in the Antichrist. God's seed versus the devil's seed. Now, when the tribulation begins, probably before it, really, Satan again will bring forth a son into the world, just like Genesis 4, and just like John 6, the pattern is clear. The son of perdition. A human being with the spirit of Judas, son of perdition, with the spirit of the Antichrist, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And I would say most likely he's already in the world, probably. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. Oh, I got 15 minutes. I'm going to leave you with a lot of things. I'm going to leave you with this. I, I don't know what you watch. I really don't. I know most of God's people, their minds are not on the Word of God. Your minds are on what's going on around you. You're scared to death. But you have no idea how to connect it back to the Word of God. And I feel sorry for you in that sense. And it's a thing where, you know, it's a... But if anybody's paying attention, the 20th century was a real key to show you where we are at the end and what's coming. God using the very events of our time in history in the 20th century. For instance, bear with me. In 1900, you had the beginning of what was called the Zionist movement. The Zionist movement was the beginning which led to ultimately Israel becoming a nation. It started around 1900. Then we had World War I. If anybody paying attention, we've talked about it many, many times, how that the land completely changed and uh, where the uh, monarchies of Europe had run it for five, six, seven hundred years, they're all gone now. And England is in possession of Jerusalem. In World War II, we now see that the Jew who would not go back was forced to go back because of the persecution that they went under. So you heard me say it many, many times. World War I got the land ready for the Jew, and World War II got the Jew ready for the land. We saw anybody paying attention between 1933 and 1945, the last type in history of the Antichrist that the church would ever get in Adolf Hitler. And I've showed you before the coincidences that his party number was 555 because the next one coming was going to be 666. 
And then praise the Lord, the one after that will be 777. Then, right after 1945, something happened in 1947 on June the 24th with a man by the name of Kenneth Arnold who was flying his little plane over in Washington around Mount Rainier. And lo and behold, six or seven shiny discs come out of nowhere. Buzz him, chase him all over the place. He lands hysterical. And from that point on, we have the UFOs all over the place. It was shortly after that that Roswell took place. And then 11 months later, 11, 11 months, the 11th hour, 1948, the Jews get back in the land and become a nation. And we are told now in Matthew chapter 24 that when this happens, this is the last generation before the tribulation comes. We are 70-some years into that generation, my dear friend. When the UFO flap all begins to take place, the devil kicks into high gear with his bosom buddy, Hollywood. And now all the UFO movies start to come out. There was nothing before this. Oh, Orson Welles, The War of the Worlds, I get that, 30s. But there was nothing. After 1947, the devil puts it into high gear because he knows now, 1948, the Jews... Have, have, are in the land, and now he knows that what God just did, God's driving a four-speed, by the way. And if you ever drove a four-speed, you know you get on going good in second, and then you bang it back to uh, first, and then you bang it back to second, and then you throw it up into third, and then when you got that thing going about a 60 or 70, you want to really take off if you got a hot car. You throw it in fourth gear, and you step on the gas. You know what God did in 1948? He threw it in fourth gear, and he stepped on the gas. And we're headed for the rapture of the church. Because the last generation that's going to be alive is going to see what happened in 1948. Hey, don't, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So now here they come. The thing, 1951. I love it. Then we got the brain from Planet Eris. Love it. Then we got the War of the Worlds. Then coming on up there, we had E.T. Then we had Alien, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, then we had the Evasion of the Body Snatchers. Then we had species, one, two, three, and four. Then we had uh, a predator, one, two, and three. Uh, then we had Jodie Foster in contact. Never ends. What the devil did from 1947 on was prepare everybody in this world for where we're at right now, that everybody is looking for life in outer space. And for 70 years, your government told you, they lied to you. They told you that it was all fables. They told you it wasn't true. And most of God's people were so stupid that they believed it. Amen. See? They told you for 70 years it's not true. Hey, I remember I had a copy of the Blue Book Report back in the day. I stole it out of a library. And uh, it's okay. I asked God to forgive me and we're good. But it's the thing where I wanted a copy of it. So, you know, well, let me tell you something. There was, a, there was a place, someplace in Indiana, and it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And all these people in the town saw this shiny disc. 
and it had green places there, you know, where they stored green in. And this shiny disc is, is zipping in out of this green thing and then up into the sky. The Air Force came out and investigated. You know what they said it was? Venus rising early. <laughs> now, folks, let me just be honest with you. When Venus starts zigzagging in and out of the green funnels, it's time to go home. I mean, you're in trouble. Now, after all those years, it's now true. See? I'm just telling you. Not to take my word for it. Just look at the 20th century. And you know what happened? Oh, come on now. Come on. What have you been doing? About 1970, 1980, all the movies switched. Now you had movies about the Antichrist. You had Rosemary's Baby. You had The Exorcist. You had The Omen. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Little Damien. Remember little Damien? Huh? Little Damien was the Antichrist. And he had a little, all kinds of people. Excuse me, I didn't mean that. Then he had, then he had all kinds of people that were sent by the devil to protect him. How did little Damien get here? He's fathered by the devil. You ever see Al Pacino in, uh, not The Godfather, that's a good one too, but Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate, 1997, where he is the devil, comes down. All these movies have one thing in common now. You're being bombarded with the devil coming down and producing children. And they're all the Antichrist, right under your nose, right under our nose. Did God's people catch any of that? No. Why? World Series was on. Super Bowl. The, the, the Olympics, all the stuff that we were focused on right under your nose. Wake up. I don't know what to tell you. And now look where we're at. And God's people are as confused today. You can define our times by one verse today and everything in it. Second Thessalonians 2.7 the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And folks, get a hold of this. We are 120 years into it. Actually, 120 plus 1. 120 years? That's the exact same time God told Noah to build a boat and then he gave man 120 years to repent before God's judgment came. You're at the end. Now, I, 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 when that judgment came, talk about a remnant. When that judgment came, out of 8 million people on planet Earth, 8 got in the ark. Now, I can't speak for you, nor would I presume to, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be one of those 8. The great conspiracy is about to completely unfold. But it's not the one that most of God's people have bought into. Now, let me just say this so you don't think I'm, I'm closed-minded or negative. I love a good conspiracy. I love conspiracy theories. A lot of you guys play video games and you sit on your couch and you spend all your life chasing whoever, shooting whoever, and it's all fake because if you ever really got into combat, you would wet your pants before you ever got out of the boat. So you stay in the safe little zone on your couch where you get to shoot people 
you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what life is all about till the bullets go zizzing by your ears. That's another story. But anyway, I love a good conspiracy. See, you guys, you young guys and gals, you're just caught up into this one. I've been around them for all my life. And I, I play, cons- I love conspiracies like you guys play video games. And over the years, I have found the true test that you test every conspiracy against. I found five things in the Bible that you use that will define for you where you're at and what you really got or what you really don't have. And I'm, I'm under no illusion. What's coming our way, you know, last time the COVID-19 came through here, it, it, it purged Christianity. It purged our church. But I'm going to tell you right now, get set because there's another purging coming. And probably another one after that. And I dare so to say it. I told you this before. Last time nobody believed me. I'm telling you right now, probably this time next year, half of you might be here. We're in the final stages of this great conspiracy of all time. And God's people are so fearful and filled by bad information that they're going to get nailed. I'm telling you right now, you better get a different mindset. You better get used to some things. You better get into your Bible, get out of whatever you're into, and you better begin to accept some things that we once knew on this planet had to come to an end for God to do what he's got to do. And I'm going to tell you, folks, 20th century Christianity, every one of you, me, this church, every Christian, you're up to bat. And the devil's going to try to throw you a fastball and a curveball. It's over. And if you think I like saying that, hey, I don't like saying that. I mean, but it is. I, I have to deal with the reality. I have never been the illusionist to think that we were just going to hip-hop through life. Are you sleeping during my message? Your guys are closed. Keep your eyes open. If I have to put toothpicks, I'll get it. Bring me that stapler. I'm going to staple your eyelids up to the top of your head. No, I'm just kidding. You didn't get any sleep this weekend. I know the problem. No, I'm good. No, you're not. You were sleeping. And I got, hey, I, I'm not mad at you because I slept all weekend. And I still could fall asleep right now, so I'm good with you. But I'm telling you, God's people have no clue. We're living in a dream world. You are, folks. I love you to death. Uh, and, you're, and, and you're listening to everything that's out there, and you're fearful of everything that's happening. And yet you couldn't go to the Bible and lay out those five concepts that, that tells you where you're at. And while we're here this morning, he's out there this morning, just waiting. He's testing the waters with things. He's pulling things together that the average person will never see. He's filling the world with fear and disinformation. His goal, obviously, at the end in the tribulation is to get everybody together. You're beginning to see the beginnings of that right now. Sowing total confusion because when God's people are confused, they're afraid. And that's what the devil will always use in your life. 
And that's why the Bible says, greater is he that's in you. It's in the works. When the Bible says, perfect love casteth out fear. See, we love him. We just don't have a perfect love for him. And I could spend an hour on that one. And I'm telling you, As far as I'm concerned, we get to be part of it. I can't speak for you, but for me, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you you got to love what's going on around you today. If you're if you get any kind of spiritual temperature, Somebody sent me an email last week, some guy down in Florida, and he shot this big, long thing. And I love these things. Hey, keep sending them. I enjoy them. I'm not saying this to criticize you. I respect your opinion. And I read everything everybody sends. Oh, I shouldn't have. Boy, I just blew myself with that. My emails will blow up now. But anyway, he said, do you know that they're going to put every Christian in a camp? What do you think of that? I emailed him back, and I said, Praise the Lord. We need to, we want to start our camping program again. <laughs> you know what our problem is? Every one of us. Now, I'm going to talk to you as your friend. I'm not even your pastor now. I'm just your friend. You know what our problem is? We think we're something special. We do. They're going to put you in the camps. You mean like the Jews did in the Warsaw Ghetto when the Nazis put them in the camps? You mean like them? Now, what makes us any better than them? And you mean, you mean like Harlem Popoff that got tortured beyond his belief uh, in the, by the Russians for his stand, put in a camp, a gulag? Are we better than that? No, no. We want to be. We want to think we are. Because we live in this plastic world that, oh, boy, my great suffering is that the air conditioning broke at work today. It was really hot. I'm going to tell you, you have no clue what's coming your way. And you better, not only, you better not only understand it, you better learn to enjoy it. You know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ dying on the cross in agony? For the joy that was set before him. What's wrong with us? Somebody says, well, they're going to, they're going to come in there and, 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 and put you in a camp. Well, they're going to take away all your freedom. You mean like when the Jew went in captivity in 606 B.C.? Like them? Why are we better than them? Now, I know you say, well, that was God's judgment. Yeah, it was God's judgment, but I want you to tell you right now, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the great prophets that were doing right, they went into that captivity too. You say, yeah, but in World War II, the, ja- the, the Jews were disobeying God, so God was punishing them and sent them in. Yeah, he did. The Corey Ten Boom and her family went too. She wasn't Jew. She's from Holland. And her family helped the Jews. And she was a born-again Christian, and her whole family died. Of course, you, what I'm, you know what I'm about to say. This is why you're going, see. You just can't wait. Her whole family, except her died in Auschwitz. So let's go to Auschwitz. Oh, this is wonderful. We're going to eat afterwards? Yeah, uh, they, they would have given anything to have the crumbs off of what we get to eat. We'll go there like we go to a ball game. 
and never stop and think that it wasn't just the Jews that was there. It was every born-again, blood-washed child of God that loved the book just like we say we do. And they went into their captivity too. And we're something special. We should be spared that because why again? This is where God's people are today. We're living in a dream world. And I'm telling you, and I'm not saying this to scare you. I ain't scared. I told you before, they put me in a camp. I'll start a camp prison ministry. I don't care. I'll do what Ezekiel did. I'll do what Daniel did. You know what? I will go wherever God wants me to go. And wherever I go, I'll keep doing what God's called me to do. And a year from now, if half of you are gone, I can promise you one thing. I don't know will he'll be here or who won't. I can promise you one thing. I will be. And I'll be preaching the same thing I'm preaching now. Nothing is going to deter me from it. Nothing is going to make me fearful of it. Nothing is going to stop me in doing it because that's what God called me to do. And if that requires me suffering like he suffered, then so be it. Somebody said, well, we'll just have to resist. You mean like Jesus did? The Bible says he was dumb like a lamb before he or she. And he opened not his mouth. He went because he was going to be the sacrifice. And I will go wherever because I'm going to be that sacrifice. With you or without you. Now listen, all this is by God's design. All that we're facing, I, I, I don't know what people think. They, they act like God is out left field someplace. And all this is, is the government. All this is the devil. All this is, this, what we're facing right now is what Israel faced in 606. We are facing God's judgment on His people. You and me. Now I know many of you are doing what's right. I know that. Praise the Lord. Maybe you'll get a mattress. Maybe they'll kill you quickly. But I'm telling you, my greatest fear of the judgment seat of Christ is to stand there before Him knowing now what He did for me. The price that He paid, the agony that He went through and I get to skate because I'm special. I get to sidestep it because I'm something special. God Help us not to wind up before His throne Amen. with no scars on our back, Amen. no nail prints in our hands, no spear hole in our side.
When I look at everything that has happened, that is happening, and going to happen, I have one life verse that keeps everything in perspective for me. And it's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And it simply says this. Joseph to his brethren, you meant it for my evil. God meant it for my good. God wants to take us and use us in the tough times coming. Just like the easy times we all have right now. It don't cost me nothing to preach. I just come down and do it. Say what I want to say. It doesn't cost you nothing to disciple somebody. You can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't cost you anything to go to church. It doesn't cost you anything to have a Bible. Oh, we got it so good. And we actually think that we are so special that there's something about us that just precludes us from being persecuted. That, oh, yeah, it's all this nasty stuff out there. Yeah, the iniquity of a, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The greatest conspiracy in the world is that one. And everything else is part of it. You better get your head out of whatever it is and realize we need to prepare ourselves to pay the price. And I know Clearwell saying that. Most of God's people won't. You know why? You can't pay a price now when there's no persecution. What are you going to do when it comes down and hits the fan? I know what it'll be. You know what it'll be? It'll be like the 12 apostles. One of them was a fake. And when the real hit the fan, everybody took off except one guy. One out of 12. If that's correct, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you're going to get to do what's right. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you're going to get to do what's right. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1 out of 12. I wish I had time to count you all up. I'd just stand and I'd say that's going to be our church a year from now, probably. I'm telling you. I, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know where you're at. And I don't care. I mean, I make no judgment. I love conspiracies, and I love to listen to them and talk to people about them. I enjoy it. But I'm under no illusion what the real issue is. I got a church out there. I got a church out there in, in Indiana that's buying guns and buying food and buying ammo, stocking it down the basement. Well, I'm t- <laughs> I don't know if you know it or not, but if this world goes to hell in a handbag, they'll overrun your church in about 15 minutes. And all you're going to do is supply all that stuff for the 5,000 guys who are going to mob you. You see, I don't need guns. I don't need bullets. I don't need hand grenades. I don't need landmines. I got a sword! Amen. And that's all I need. And it has got me through... 71 years of my life, and it is going to carry me home. I can't speak for you, but I will take my stand paying a price that he paid for me. Now you see the pattern. Now you see the blockbuster verses that show you the mystery of iniquity has already been at work. And here we are. Praise the Lord. We get to be part of it. You, I mean, I cannot tell you how the Jews were butchered 
uh, all through history. I can't tell you how the Waldeansans and Albigensians were tortured and butchered for all they believed that you believe today. I can't tell you even across this country in the last 20th century, the Christians in other countries, Romania before it fell, and Russia were tortured and, and murdered for what they believe. All the while, we're just having our little lattes, our little cupcakes, our little parties, our little camps down to the lake, our little trips to Warsaw or whatever, all of the little fun things that we do. Oh, the Chiefs are playing tonight. Oh, the, the Royals are playing. Oh, I'm going here. And that is all fine. It's all fine. But it's put us to sleep. And we have lost sight of the reality. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I am to be a living sacrifice. He died for me in the cross. I live for him here right up to the point where they take my life. And that's the way it has to be. I'm not cutting and running. I'm not turning my back on the one who never turned his back on me. He gave his back and his cheek to the smiters. So will I. They hung him on a cross, mutilated him for me. And for him, so will I. If that's what it is, that's what it is. I mean, is the end result that terrible? Heaven? And the best part is, I get to come back and kick the snot at everybody that did it to me. <laughs> now, maybe that's not Christian, but okay. I'll confess that a little later too. You see, this is why there is an advantage. No, I know nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. We don't. I don't want to die. Right? You want to die? No, you don't want to die. You don't want to die. Oh, he's sleeping. I'm sorry. You don't want to die. What do you don't want to die? Nobody wants to die. We all get up and we say, oh, this is really bad time. The rapture is going to get us out of here. And we're going to go out in the rapture. I want to tell you something. That bothers me. You know, there's got to be some kind of compensation for dying now than those of us who get to go to the rapture. You know what I think that com- I found it one time. It's not a blockbuster verse, but it kept me awake. You see, the Bible says in Revelation 19, we come back on white horses. You all know where that's at, 1911? But then I got over there in Judges, picture of the second coming, and somebody's coming back on white donkeys. Me, my luck. Time the rapture comes, all that's left is the donkeys. Everybody else that died before got a horse. I could just see me coming up in the rapture saying, Lord, I'm ready to come back. I've been thinking about my white steed that'll run around and I can say, freedom! Lord says, I got some good news and some bad news. Yes, sir. We are going back. Praise the Lord! But all the white horses are gone. <laughs> Take a jackass over there. <laughs> now, you want to know how biblical I am? I'm pretty spiritual. You know what I'd say to the Lord? I'd say, yes, sir. He'd say, you okay with that? And I'd say, yes, sir. He'd say, you stand at ease. Yes, sir. Why are you okay with that, sir? You know as well as I do. As a Christian, I've been a jackass most of my life. <laughs> so it's very fitting. He says, you know what? That's a good answer. Bring this guy a white horse. I know how to play the system, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> hey, 
I said it last week. You know what the thing that will get us through it, if anything gets us through, besides the Bible, is the love we have for each other. How we take care of each other. It's phenomenal. And I can't help but think that God just hasn't built that into us for what's coming. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is a scary, scary time in the life, in the world, to be without a Bible-believing church, to be your backup. But I don't know how you're going to make it. Here, we take care of our own. And I tell you, like I said, I love a good conspiracy. I, I, I do out there. I love enjoying them. I listen to them. I, I do, but I use my five principles for myself. Because I'm ultimately going to have to take my stand for the Lord. And I know what that stand is going to be. It's going to be to pay the price. Whatever that may be. Well, let's hold up and get out of here now. And I appreciate you. Don't forget the kickball tonight. Don't forget all the things we got this week. And we'll be back in it. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the crowd here today. Thank you for, Lord, their love for you and the book. And thank you for their being my friend and the privilege of me being theirs. Well, Lord, we know some tough times are coming and we're going to have to hold together and stand together. Help me as a pastor and a leader to lead through it, to hold the line, Lord, to do what right and always preach the book and always keep it between the right lines. Help me, Father, to always follow the principles, not in in life, but even in the things in the end time, that we don't stray off the truth of the Word of God and get caught up in the wrong things. And we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you.